Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I bring you a message today from the people of Ireland. The Irish desire peace with England and with the rest of the world. It is a question of a republic. And we want the creation of a new Ireland. I wish to talk to you this evening about the state of the nation's affairs. I wish to talk to you this evening about... Welcome to the History of Ireland. Last episode, we discussed how the pro-treaty side began slowly taking control of the new country that was the Irish Free State. Today, we're going to look at those who still opposed the idea. In fact, we're going to look at one of the very first organisations to officially come out against the treaty, which was Common Namont. We already know that the female TDs in Sinn Féin all vehemently opposed the treaty, and as Mary McSweeney proved again and again, we're not shy of making this clear. But just because these prominent women were anti-treaty doesn't necessarily mean that Common Man would have been against it as an organisation. So, on Saturday the 5th of February, Common Man held a special convention in the Mansion House to discuss the treaty and to decide where they landed on it. Though the majority of the executive committee of Kamenamon were against the treaty, there was still a strong pro-treaty contingency, led by a founding member and the very first president of the group, Jenny Wise Power. From Wicklow, Wise Power had begun her political career with the Ladies' Land League, which was set up by Anna Parnell in 1881. That's sister of Charles Parnell, just in case you were wondering. A fierce Parnellite, Wise Power supported Home Rule, worked with the Gaelic League, led various nationalist groups, had been a member of Sinn Féin as far back as 1906, well before it was cool, and was actively involved in the 1916 Rising. From there, she helped found Common Amman and was one of its most senior leaders all through the War of Independence. She was, excuse the pun, a powerful woman and I highly recommend you go read about her amazing life. Now, Wise Power was annoyed that Common Amman was being sold as anti-treaty before the members had voted. And on the 5th of February, there was, quote, much tension between Mankiewicz and Wise Power. On the day, Mary McSweeney put forward a resolution that stated, The executive of Common Amman reaffirms its allegiance to the Republic of Ireland and therefore cannot support the Articles of Agreement signed in London December 6th, 1921. Wise Power tried to make a compromise, amending the resolution to say, Common Amman reaffirms its allegiance to the Republic, 
but realizing that the treaty will, if accepted by the Irish people, be a big step along the road to that end. We declare that we will not work obstructively against those who support the treaty. Basically, what she's saying here is, even if Kamenaman is against the treaty in theory, well, let's all just promise not to work against the pro-treaty side. This kind of didn't go anywhere, though. As one person described it, speaker after speaker's uncompromising hostility to the treaty, combined with passionate allusions to the principles and to the Irish Republic. In the end, 419 delegates voted against Wise Power's resolution, and only 63 voted in favour. That basically means Common Man voted against the treaty. It's pretty simple, yeah? Common Man and the Irish women they represented were staunchly against the treaty. That's what the numbers would suggest. But, you know, these things are never straightforward. The question becomes, well, did Common Man the leading feminist Irish organisation, accurately represent the women of Ireland? The answer is probably not. And it, there's a strong argument to be made that they didn't even really accurately represent their own members. You see, Covenaman had about 900 branches around the country at this time, but only 600 sent delegates to the meeting on the 5th. Why so few? Well, there was a train strike that got in the way, but also a lot of the pro-treaty delegates believed it was kind of a waste of time and that the executive leadership of Kamenaman had already made up their mind and would steer the organisation against the treaty. A few days previously, the executive committee had voted against the treaty by a number of 22 to 2, Wise Power and her daughter kind of being the only ones who stayed pro-treaty. This was further proven by the fact that the leadership was already spitting out anti-treaty propaganda, much to the chagrin of wise power. And so people just kind of figured this special convention was pretty much a waste of time and they'd already made up their mind. This means that really only 35% of common Amman voted against the treaty. And as one female writer at the time puts it, common Amman is not very representative of Irish women in general. But regardless, the organization had officially denounced the treaty. And this would have big ramifications. The question then became, who was going to represent the pro-treaty women in this new Irish state? Well, Wise Power quickly stepped up to ensure there was a pro-treaty version of Common Amman. And on March 12th, she came together with 700 women to form Common Assertia, which translates to League of Freedom. It would be, quote, an independent body of Irish women pledged to work for the securing and maintaining of Ireland's right as an autonomous and sovereign state to determine freely her form of government. Newspapers described it as a, quote, remarkable gathering of women. And it does show that there was quite a lot of support for the treaty among the female Irish population. Unfortunately, Kamunamon versus Kamunasertia was just another painful split in a period full of them. The historian Mary McAleaf writes that it's important to remember that the Civil War was more than just the fighting of brother against brother, as is so often mentioned. 
but also a fight between sister and sister. Mary McSweeney and the other female Sinn Féin TDs wrote to Communist Ayrshire saying, it would be better to face Lloyd George together than face a war with each other. While people lamented the split, as one Communist member wrote, the organisation lost some fine women, foundation members, others executive members, who had helped guide them through the war years. All had proved themselves. Now they had left the organisation, started their own one, and the two groups did not see eye to eye. The split in the Irish feminist movement could not have come at a worse time. As we discussed last episode, the Irish Free State was the chance to rethink how Ireland could be run. And Common Amman, though not strictly a suffragette movement or really anything like that, was the best means by which women could advocate for their rights. It was now splintered. One example where this very quickly became an issue was the topic of disenfranchisement. To get slightly ahead of ourselves, an election would be held in June 1922 that would basically allow the people of Ireland to vote on the treaty. But the rules stuck to the British system, stating that only women over 30 could vote. Kate O'Callaghan, who was an anti-treaty TD, demanded that women be given the same voting rights as men as soon as possible, and definitely before this vote. And there had been a lot of assurances that women would gain the same rights as men in the new free state constitution. But wise power, a long time and adamant suffragette, actually shot her down, stating that if Cumminamon was against the new state, well, they couldn't have a say in voting rights. In the end, it was decided that lowering women's voting age was simply too complicated to organise by June. Who cares if we didn't give a vote to, you know, the generation of women who had helped bring about this new Irish free state? It was just a bit complicated. And to be honest, there was a bit of a political ploy here, as pro-treaty leaders were worried that that generation of young women would be more inclined to be anti-treaty. But it's also kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Of course they're going to be anti-treaty if your new free state denies them the vote. You can see why coming to Mon were so extreme, can't you? The split in the women's movement was further deepened by propaganda put out at the time by both sides. As McAloof puts it, common Nasertia members were described as women of low character, while common Nasertia called the common Amman anti-treatyites wild women. In the last episode, it was argued that the civil service was just one of the casualties of the Irish Civil War. A much greater and much deeper and much sadder casualty it could be argued, was that of women's rights. Feminists in Ireland at the time were fighting an uphill battle against centuries of misogyny and a fervently religious worldview that had deeply rooted ideas of how women should behave in society. Now, I'm not for a second suggesting that coming to Mon's stance on the treaty or the split in the group is to blame, but it is a shame that just when women needed to be strongest, the approaching civil war tore the movement apart. This just made it easier for the new Irish government 
with the help of the Catholic Church, to become a state with a ridiculously backwards and dangerous approach to women's rights that lasted late into the modern era. As historian Marie Coleman writes, the predominance of women on the Republican side resulted in fewer women TDs in the Dáil in its early years because of the refusal of Republicans to take their seats and a misogynistic backlash from the treaty commentators who dismissed the women TDs who voted against the treaty. This negative attitude towards women infused the restrictive role envisaged for women in public life in the new state after 1922. To say it's a shame is simply an understatement. And regardless of what side Cumann Amman or Cumann Asertia were on with the treaty, the fact that this new government, which had been helped so much by a generation of revolutionary women, just kind of then tossed them aside in this new free state, is abhorrent. Cumann Amman would go on to become vital to the anti-treaty side of the Civil War and in fact became much more militaristic in this new evolving conflict. But we'll explore that at a later date. Next episode, we're going to look at the beginnings of the Civil War and the taking of the Four Courts. Thanks for listening. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and if you're enjoying it, give us a review on Apple Podcasts or tell your friends. It really helps. You can also support the show, buy merch, and get in touch all through our website, thehistoryofireland.com. Or you can follow us on Facebook or Twitter. It's always great hearing from you guys. And if I've made a mistake, please do let me know. The History of Ireland was written and produced by me, Kevin Dole. Additional research and fact-checking by Robert Babington, music by Liam Doyle, and additional help from assistant producer Eva Murphy. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.